Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Burdick, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Friday, September 16th. The first Halloween decorations are up in my neighborhood six weeks early. I mean, why even bother taking them down? Just leave them up all year. There is no Halloween segue into today's topic on the Roundup, and that's the spending priorities of hospital and health system CFOs. Well, maybe that is scary. We're going to talk about a new survey by PricewaterhouseCoopers. I can't bring myself to say PwC on first reference yet. Of about 700 executives, mostly finance types, across six industries, including healthcare, and a new survey by Deloitte, formerly Deloitte and Touche, of CFOs and other finance types at 61 hospitals and health systems. To tell us whether these healthcare CFOs are spending your money wisely are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. But before we say hello to Dave and Julie, I wanted to say hello to the sponsor of the Foresight Friday Roundup podcast, Infor. By connecting the business and mission sides of healthcare, institutions can enhance staff experience and simplify patient interactions. With data-driven insights and greater operational control, our sponsor Infor supports your company in making healthcare a calling again for your staff. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning, Dave? September is a glorious month. I'm trying to hang on to these last few days of summer with all I've got, because as they say in Game of Thrones, winter is coming. (laughs) Ouch. Thanks, Dave. (laughs) Julie, how are you? I'm good. I embarked on Monday on my almost three-week trip away from home between work and one personal issue. So I'm a road warrior again. Wow, a lot to pack in that suitcase. Good luck. That's right. (laughs) Now, before we talk about how healthcare CFOs are spending our money, let's talk about Halloween decorations in your neighborhood. Dave, what scary things are you seeing in your neighborhood in Chicago? Halloween? Dave, are you kidding me? It's September 16th. We should be talking about druids in the September equinox. I haven't seen a single Halloween decoration unless you include the goths that uh, frequent our neighborhood, but they're here year-round. What's in that suburban water in Wheaton that people have their Halloween decorations up now? That's why I live in the city, man. I I hear you. Yeah, we should (laughs) get that water tested. Thank you. Julie, are there any hands coming out of the ground where you live? First of all, the hands coming out of the ground are my favorite Halloween decoration. (laughs) Those are the best. And I have seen some autumn leaves adorning some doors, but that's about it. Yeah, so more of a fall kind of a thing. Gotcha. That's right. Yeah. Like I said, Halloween decorations are starting to go up in my neighborhood, and I haven't put mine out yet, but it's going to be a doozy. I won't tip my hand, (laughs) but something's going to be buried in my front yard, and it's not Ivana Trump. So there you have it. Are you going to do that delivery candy delivery system from the second floor again? (laughs) No, that was a COVID special. And I did try to save it for the next year, but storing a 30 foot long piece of PVC pipe with curves at the top and the bottom is not as easy as it sounds. So. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's gone. But thanks for remembering that. We, we've got pictures. Okay, let's talk about this first survey by PwC, and let's focus on the healthcare results. The top three spending priorities on the list of nine things to spend money on were in rank order, digital transformation initiatives, hiring and retaining talent, and new products and services in response to changing consumer behavior. The bottom three in terms of priority were reevaluating pricing strategies, ESG issues, and last and maybe least, divestitures and spinoffs. Dave, what do you think of this list? Is this how you would rank your spending priorities if you were a healthcare CFO? And would patients put them in a different order? My first reaction, Dave, to the list is that it's predictable and uninspiring. It suggests that CFOs believe that incremental improvement on broken business models will lead to long-term sustainability. You know, making buggy whips faster, cheaper, and more appealing won't increase sales. At best, those strategies will help some companies garner a bigger share of a shrinking market. More on that in a second. I was also surprised that the number one answer, digital transformation initiatives, only received a 63% response rate. This tells me that there isn't uniformity of opinion among CFOs about how to help their health systems respond to the current market turbulence. Or perhaps it's just a badly worded survey, who knows. But here's the issue in a nutshell. We have too much health care in America and not enough health. Despite the nation's aging demographics, demand for health care services is and will continue to decline. Demand for health-based services will increase. Of course, these are very different businesses, and we've seen that the health systems aren't very good at combining them. So companies that choose to compete in healthcare need to recognize that their business is shrinking and respond accordingly. So what does that look like? These would be my priorities if I were a, well, Julie mentioned road warrior, but I'm looking for warrior CFOs. So if I were a warrior CFO, first, dramatically address cost and quality deficiencies. Do everything possible to reduce unit costs and improve quality. In a shrinking market, better outcomes at lower prices with great customer service wins. Secondly, aggressively decant services out of high-cost centralized hospitals to lower cost, more convenient, and customer-friendly venues. Simultaneously invest in AI and human-machine collaboration. Traditional business models are too labor-intensive and burdensome. Partner, use the balance sheet, borrow, do whatever is necessary to accomplish these objectives should be top of the list. Win consumers' hearts and minds with service, not slogans. Omni-channel connectivity that solves real consumer problems, what Clay Christensen calls jobs to be done, is how to gain market share in a shrinking market. Digital transformation has a huge role to play here, but it's much more involved than enabling online scheduling and bill paying. Dave, this answers your question about patient priorities. They don't really care about the healthcare business. They want solutions to their healthcare problems. It's really that simple. And then lastly, downsize, rationalize, repurpose the acute care footprint. UPenn just charged my friend 18 grand for two MRIs. Smart Choice MRI is open on weekends and never charges more than $600 for any scan. And that comes with a second read from the Cleveland Clinic. Come on, Penn's charging a 15X markup for a routine or commodity procedure. How long can this type of profiteering continue? The world is changing. 
My concern is that most health system CFOs under pressure are doing just the opposite of what I'm recommending. They're doubling down on acute service provision because that's where the money is. That means more emphasis on revenue cycle optimization and less emphasis on performance improvement. That tattered old playbook can't cut it in today's turbulent environment for healthcare providers. Healthcare is a low margin, high cost business that requires a highly skilled labor force. This is a tough business proposition in an inflationary environment with little appetite by payers or patients to pay more for already exorbitantly priced healthcare services. Combine that with the oversupply of acute care services and you've got, as my friends in New England would say, you have a real wicked problem on your hands. So talk is cheap, CFOs. It's time to get it done. Be a warrior. Add it, Dave. I like that slogan, decant healthcare. I think there's a T-shirt in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) You have an ear. (laughs) Julie, any questions for Dave? Dave, that was quite an, a passionate strategy and approach. So I hope someone's listening who can actually take advantage of that. When in one of the many talks I heard this week, Senator Frist was talking about the environmental issues and climate. And he and Governor Bredesen here in Tennessee really focused on how important this is. And this is not something that I think we hear a lot about, honestly, in our circles. And the study throughout was that 10% of the issues driving climate change are due to healthcare. I'm sort of butchering what the real stat probably is. Does that surprise you? And if you were a health system C-suite, how would you balance business priorities that you just laid out and the environment? You know, that percentage really doesn't surprise me at all, given how energy intensive hospital-based care is to deliver. Maybe 10% is a little higher than I would have expected, but I'm not surprised that it's a high percentage. If I were a health system C-suite executive, I'd jump in with both feet. I'd start with the E of the ESG, since there are well-developed strategies for reducing carbon footprints. And of course, the U.S. is not a leader in this area at all, but there are lots of good strategies, proven strategies. And on the surface, these investments appear to be all costs and no return, but that's not true either. In reality, these types of investments lead to better, more effective ways of conducting business. And in this sense, they go hand in hand with everything I was just talking about. Let's do the basic business better. But perhaps more importantly, and I'd be curious, Julie, if they discuss this at all in the conference, I think investing in E is a cogent strategy for improving S, the social aspects of care delivery. Pushing care delivery into community-based settings in low-income zip codes is a way to both improve health equity and lower carbon emissions. Essentially, E gets us to S. How cool is that? Interesting. Thanks, Dave. Okay, let's talk about the second survey, this one by Deloitte. Deloitte asked healthcare CFOs to rank their capital spending priorities over the next year and give them nine choices, just like PwC did. Maybe there's something special about the number nine in a survey. I don't know. The top three priorities in rank order were digital technologies, data and interoperability tools, and core business technologies. I know, Julie, you you do talk about that a lot on this show. At the bottom of the spending pile were repairs and renovation, new building assets for alternative care sites, and mergers and acquisitions. 
Julie, what do you think of this list from Deloitte? How would you rank these spending priorities if you were a CFO? And would patients put them in a different order? Yeah, so these two surveys were frighteningly similar and not an extraordinarily exciting, honestly. But maybe that's what the life of a health system CFO is. I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure I'd want to be one today in particular. But I didn't really get a lot from the Deloitte survey that I didn't get from the first one. So when I really looked at what the priorities were that were in there, you know, when you think about what's happening to patient mix and payer mix, these CFOs need to do two things. For the core business, they need to drive more commercial patients to the machine. And they today don't have the digital infrastructure to really even understand how to go out and get those commercial patients what those commercial patients need that their chassis can deliver. So there's a whole stream there that requires a lot of coordination around how you think about having a business strategy and making that happen. And then I think on the cost side, they need a flexible workforce. These workforce costs are out of control. I don't know if I mentioned this weeks ago, but, you know, we heard that really large systems, nonprofit systems were basically giving the Heisman to these nurse staffing agencies and telling the travel agencies, we are no longer paying your price and here is the price we will pay. So there's some price setting going on out there on the cost side, but that's not a very creative CFO strategy either. So I think in the core business, those are their main issues. I completely agree with Dave. If I were a CFO, I'd want to be thinking about investing in outpatient, ambulatory, what can be done in the home, what can be done in some sort of preventative way that helps triage patients into the right place in my system. And I heard a great phrase this week. It's not remote patient monitoring, it's remote patient management. How do we think about managing patients in ways that can use remote technology and services? So I'd be thinking, I think a number one about that. I think they're thinking about this flexible workforce issue, but they just, the numbers aren't there. So I think they're very slowly really getting into this concept of virtual nursing and what it means and how to do it you know, in a more technologically appropriate way. And frankly, I think this some of the other threats that we don't talk a lot about in digital, like cyber threats, are real for CFOs because they represent real big dollars in the risk category, of course. So, you know, you have to be focused there as well. And again, I come back to, I just, I kind of feel for them, but at the same time, they've had a lot of time to cut the fixed cost infrastructure of their health system and it hasn't happened. So here we are in this situation suffering. Yeah. Sympathy for the CFO. Dave, any questions for Julie? Julie, like you, I was struck by how similar these CFO survey responses were and Also, just like you said, struck by their predictability and lack of imagination. You're in Nashville this week with some of the big outside-the-box thinkers at the Health Evolutions Conference. Tell us something, anything that you've seen or heard from incumbents at the conference that indicates they understand the market tsunami that's coming their way and they're preparing for it. Are there any warrior leaders out there among incumbents? And if so, Will their companies give them the flexibility to do what needs to be done? So I'll give you a couple anecdotes. First, Terry Shaw from Advent Health. He does fall into my warrior leader CEO category, I will say. And here's one reason why. Terry talked about how when he walked in, he had a board of, 
I think the number was 62. It might've actually been 67 board members. Try to imagine how many people that is. I mean, could you fit 67 people in your house? (laughs) So what he did over the course of three years was whittle that board down to 24. And imagine the politics you have to go through to do that. So there are leaders out there who have seen what it's going to take to really drive decision-making in the long term and have had to deal with that kind of, I mean, (laughs) nasty activity. So, you know, hats off to Terry. By the way, Julie, I've presented to that board and long ago passed, and it's a lot of Adventist, or at least it was, a lot of Adventist ministers who, wonderful people, but wouldn't have anywhere near the business acumen needed to navigate and guide a complex health system like Advent today. So Not many boards do. Kudos to Terry. Second, I heard a great discussion about value-based care and some systems touting the value-based care, but one old Oshner representative who talked about how hard it is to actually manage any percentage of value-based care that's somewhere between 10 and 100% because you're effectively managing two businesses with two processes and two different sets of incentives. So we either need to like go full force, which I think is not happening at this point, given the macroeconomic situation, or pull back. And I'm afraid that they're going to pull back. And the third thing I heard is probably the most frightening for those of us in digital. Epic, Judy Faulkner, has supposedly said that they're going to develop a national front door and Epic's going to put a layer on top of my chart so that my chart becomes the front door into every single health system's Epic system, which effectively takes away any flexibility on the part of those health systems to be able to execute their business strategy with Epic because they will be forced through Epic's access point. And This is interesting because this is the first time you really see how the health systems almost become pawns in Epic's game. And there are a few health systems who really see the writing on the wall. So, But I think there are plenty of other health systems who will default to saying, okay, well, I'll let Epic do that for a while while my system's hemorrhaging money and I can't invest in anything else. Wow. It's kind of like getting sucked into a cult. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Julie, I was looking for good news. Yeah, no, there was no (laughs) good news. Wow. (laughs) No good news. Wow. Goodness. Well, (laughs) that's very interesting, Julie. Thank you. You know, it's all about return on investment for CFOs. So I'm not sold that in both surveys, they would put digital first. I think it's fashionable to say that, but I'm not sure they believe it in their heart of hearts. We'll see. Now let's briefly talk about other news this past week. Julie, what other news happened this week that caught your attention? Well, I'm sure you probably saw that Warren Thomas, who has been longtime CEO of Oshner, is moving to Sutter. And that was big news. I mean, Warner has just been an icon in the Louisiana market. So I wish him the best. Taking on Sutter is no small feat, but Warner's an excellent leader. So I have hope. That's a situation we'll watch. I know they've got some antitrust problems at Sutter, so he's really walking into it. Thank you. Dave, what other news this week opened your eyes wider? Well, the New York Fed held a conference this week with the surprising title, quote, transformative change in health equity through debt financing, close quote. Not two things that you typically put together. And as a former investment banker who did a lot of debt financing, I found this title intriguing and listened into the conference. A challenge for those who advocate greater investment in social determinants of health, you know, what we call healthy multipliers, 
is that investments made today take a long time, even decades, to realize their return. You know, think about housing or education. The question this conference is posing is whether the debt markets can help solve this problem. Funding now with debt and getting repayment in the future based on improved health, based on some metric. There are precedents like tax increment financing or TIFs for these types of transactions. It is truly an intriguing idea that I plan to spend some more time contemplating. Interesting. Patience is a virtue. We'll see. Thanks, Dave. And thank you again, Julie. And thanks again to our sponsor, Infor. Infor connects the business and mission sides of healthcare, enhancing the staff experience and simplifying patient interactions with data-driven insights and greater operational control. And that's all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. Don't forget to tell a friend about Foresight Friday Roundup. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Burda for Foresight Health.